are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. So Brad Paisley said he wrote the song because he had a cousin who passed away. And he said, when my cousin was in the hospital, and he was in intensive care for weeks, there was not an hour that there weren't at least two church members at the hospital the whole time. They actually signed up for shifts. And he said, I remember thinking, why would somebody do something like this for somebody they barely know? And Paisley said, I finally came to the place where I decided it's because of their faith and their desire to be like Jesus. So I have a story and you have a story and my story is that all of my life, all of my life, I have been surrounded by Christians who have acted in ways that to people who weren't Christians, I'm sure seemed ridiculous at times. We never saw Sunday as a day to sleep in or have a long cup of coffee in the morning or dedicated to football and golf. Every Sunday of my life, we have gotten up and we've rushed out the door because one of the practices that was more important to us than maybe any other practice was worshiping together as a community of believers and dedicating time to God. There's kind of this whole list all of my life. I've been surrounded by Christians who who gave 10%, think about this, of every dollar they ever made to God's work. Because they believed that God's work was so important and this is what God was asking of them. And beyond the 10% that they gave every Sunday to God's work, they also gave offerings, offerings to compassionate ministries in the community like Two Lakes or offerings to missions around the world like Africa or the Native American Reservation. Beyond that, Once in a while, there would be a building program or a sanctuary that needed to be renewed, and people would make commitments that would require them to give for three consecutive years, and they would do without because they believed in the cause so deeply. All my life, I've been surrounded by Christians who could not wait until their vacation rolled around. You going to the Caribbean? Is it an all-inclusive? You going to Europe for a tour? No, we're going to Africa. AIDS has hit a small country. And for two weeks, we're going to serve with the AIDS task force. It's some of the deepest suffering of all humanity. And we're going to be there in the middle of it. So I kind of get it sometimes when people look at Christians and say, You know, they do some crazy things. So here's what I want to talk to you about today, okay? It's simply this. Our faith must impact the way that we live our lives. And therefore, the way that others view us. So I think the question that we have to walk away from the room with this morning is turning this statement into a question. So to what degree does my faith impact the way that I live my life? And therefore, the way that people who are not Christians view me. 
So I want you to open your Bible with me to the book of Acts chapter 11. Okay, chapter 11. And I'm going to start reading with verse 19. I'm going to read eight verses, but I'm going to love with you, okay? Here, here's what this is about. The first seven and a half verses are context. And we're really only going to focus on the last sentence in the eighth verse this morning. And so here's what's going on in the story of the early church. Now, now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed. You remember Stephen was stoned to death? And when Stephen was stoned to death, something major happened. The church scattered. The idea was that the church will now dissolve because they're no longer close-knit together, working together as a unit. The opposite happened. Everywhere that they went, the gospel was preached there too. So the gospel actually spread because of it. So they traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Our key city today is Antioch. They were spreading the word of God among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, they went to Antioch. And they began to speak to the Greeks also. So these are people without a Christian, uh, rather a Jewish memory. Uh, If you and I had been living back then, we would have been considered the Gentiles. So now the gospel is not only being taken to the Jewish people, but now it's going to the whole world, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. So what do you think happened? Well, the Lord's hand was on them. And a great number, you're going to see that phrase again, a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now listen to this, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they said, well, we've got a steward well, God's doing something amazing in Antioch, and so they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw what the great grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with, with all their hearts. He was a good man, he was full of faith, and he was full of the Holy Spirit. And a great number, there it is again, were brought to the Lord. So you see there is a spiritual awakening. The breakout epicenter is Antioch. There is a great revival taking place. And people's lives are being drastically changed. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Can you imagine Saul walking in his hometown of Tarsus? And he looks up and he sees Barnabas. Barnabas, what are you doing here? God's doing something great in Antioch. I need your help. So here's what he does. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. Now, for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. That's the third time you see the phrase great numbers, right? The disciples were called Christians first. at Antioch. Who called them Christians? And why did they call them Christians? And what did that mean to people who called them Christians? I want you to live with that last sentence throughout the next week. Anybody in the room have a nickname? If you do, just raise your hand really high. If you're online, would you tell your online pastor what your nickname is? I see a few hands, nicknames. So I have four friends that I was in seminary with, and we all four call each other Buzz. We don't remember why. We think it had to do with a bad haircut somewhere along the way. 
When I was a toddler, I cried so much that a family friend nicknamed me Happy. (laughs) Sometimes nicknames are very short term. And sometimes nicknames last a lifetime. Sometimes they're funny. And sometimes they're embarrassing. You might be saying, why are we talking about nicknames? Can we get back to who was calling these people Christians and why were they calling them Christians? Okay, we'll get back to it. So let me just let me just think with you, okay, and work through this with you. So if we begin to make a list, we would ask first, well, who called them Christians? Was it was it Jews? Are the Jews the ones who called these early believers Christians? Scholars are going to agree with me that it wasn't the Jews. Now, they did use names of contempt to talk about Christians. You might remember that one time the Apostle Paul stood before the governor of Judea, Felix. His name was actually Marcus Antonius Felix. And when he stood before Felix, the Jews who accused Paul said, He is a ringleader among the sect of the Nazarenes. So if you called somebody a Nazarene, it wasn't a compliment because Nazareth was a peasant village. It was a village full of people who had rented or leased small parcels of farmland and they tried to scratch out a living from the dirt. They were truly the lower status of society. And so to say a bunch of Nazarenes would be like saying kind of a bunch of marginalized poor people over there that nobody pays attention to. And so they would use names of contempt, but they probably wouldn't have said Christian. And here's why. Because Christ is in the word Christian. And Christ is the translation in the Greek of the Hebrew word Messiah. And the word Messiah was very dear and very sacred to the Jewish people. They were long awaiting the Messiah. And they would have never taken a name so sacred and made it a name of mockery. So it wasn't the Jews. And so then you ask, well, then who was it? Could it have been maybe the Christians? Did they call themselves Christians? So we have lots of names that Christians referred to themselves as in the New Testament. Brethren, um, saints most often, dear children. But we don't have any one occasion where Christians referred to themselves as Christians until the second century. And so who was it? Well, was it Jesus? Did Jesus call them Christians? Did he say, okay, you little Christians, get over here. We don't have any record of Jesus calling them Christian. He called them brothers and he called them disciples. But we never have any record of Jesus ever calling Christians Christians. Well, then who called them Christians? Was it unbelievers, non-Christians? Bingo. But it wasn't a compliment. It was actually mockery. It was ridicule. It was derogatory. You know what it was? It was a nickname. And it stuck. And the Christians lived with it. As we work through the passage this morning, we find ourselves trying to understand the Word. How many times do you think it appears in the New Testament, for that matter, in the whole Bible? 
The word Christian? Three. It's used here. They were first called Christians, meaning non-believers called them Christians at Antioch. And then there's another time when Paul again appears before King Agrippa, and King Agrippa says, Paul, do you think in such a short time you would persuade me to become a Christian? Again, a non-Christian calling them Christians. The third time was when first Peter, Peter says, if you are persecuted because you're a Christian or for being a Christian, in other words, he's using the name that other people would use if they are going to persecute you. Only three times, and it's always used in the context of non-Christians calling them Christians. So, I remember spending some time with a pastor who had retired when I met him, but he had planted a church out in Oregon. And he said, here I was, recently married. We had no money. We had no way to do anything, really, in forming a church. But I believe God had called me to start a church. And so, finally, we began to have people into our home. But our little home was so small that that didn't last long. And, and then with no money, I finally went to a drive-in theater and I talked to the owner of the drive-in theater. If I will clean up the drive-in theater, if I'll pick up all the beer bottles and all the Coke cans and all the trash laying around the drive-in theater on Sunday morning early, will you let me stand on top of your concession stand and let me preach to the people who will drive up in their cars and roll down their windows and listen into the little audio box? And the drive-in theater owner said, okay. And Del Galloway said, I stood there one Sunday morning on top of that concession stand preaching to those few cars who were sitting in front of me. And one car was an old kind of broken down wood paneled station wagon. And the guy was sitting there with his arm out the window and his window down and he wasn't very far from me. And his family's in the car. And I cast this vision that says, one day this church that we call Hope will have a great cross on a hill and we'll build a great building and thousands and thousands of people will come to know Jesus because of this church. And he said, the guy in the old wood paneled station wagon just laughed out loud at me. So Rick, what are you trying to say? If nobody's laughing at us, Maybe we're not living the life that Jesus envisioned his followers to live. Another way to say it, if they're not calling us names, then you got to wonder if there's something wrong with the way that we're living our lives. Keep the big ideas coming. Because this is who Jesus called his followers to be. I was talking to a couple the other day, and I've always got my sermon on my mind. And so it's, it's horrible to admit this, because they don't even go to our church, but I pitched them my sermon. And so... So finally, one of them said to me, um, can I be completely honest with you? And I said, sure. And they said, if somebody asked me about my faith, I would be tempted to tell them that I, I'm really into Jesus. And I think Jesus is awesome 
and I want to follow Jesus. But I don't think I would use the word Christian. I think I get it because we did a little social media experiment this past week. And we ask people, and we assume that most of the people who responded are people who attend our church. We weren't biased in the question. The question simply said, what names have you heard used to describe Christians? It wasn't negative or positive. It was phrased exactly like that. What names have you heard used to describe Christians? We had several people respond, but we only had one positive name. One person said, sweet. Christians are sweet. And I agree. Many are. But the words that we heard mostly were hypocritical, and we heard that one a lot. Out of touch, judgmental, fake. And I think in that conversation that I was in, I don't think the person was saying, Christians have been given a bad rap. I think that person was saying, some Christians have deserved a bad rap. I know that we're held to a higher standard. One Christian does something hypocritical and people say Christians are hypocritical. It doesn't happen anywhere else. When somebody in the NFL, the National Football League, does something crazy, I don't hear everybody saying the whole football league is nuts. I think we're held to a different standard. But I have to admit to you that there's some Christians who I've said to myself, they're crazy, and it wasn't in a good way. But way more than that, I have lived my life around Christians who the world probably looked at and said, they're kind of crazy. And it made me smile. So let's break down the word, okay? In the Greek, the word Christian is Christianus. Um, so the first word, Christ, I told you earlier, is the Greek translation for the Hebrew word Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah of the people of Israel, the people of God, God's anointed one who would usher in the kingdom of God and restore the nation of Israel. In us indicates followers of. And so the word Christian simply means followers of Christ. And so what non-Christians were saying about the people in Antioch was simply this. It's like they're a lot like the guy they follow, Jesus. They tend to act a lot like him. They tend to follow his teachings and they tend to follow the way he lived his life. It's like they're doing things like he would do things. They're acting like he would act. They're responding like he would respond. These people look and act a lot like the one they call the Christ, Jesus. And, and I think here's what's going on. Believers were called Christians by unbelievers because they were so different. These people had been born again. So when their mother gave them birth, they were born physically. But when they were born, this time they were born of the spiritual birth. And it was like their whole life started over and they had new values. And they loved it deeply. And they gave generously. And they served others with abandon. 
and they forgave people who wronged them. I remember as a little boy looking up at my mother because I believed that someone had wronged my family terribly. And I said, Mama, what are we going to do? And my mother looked down at me and she said, Ricky, we're going to forgive them. The year I moved here, 2012, a gunman walked into a one-room school in an Amish community in Pennsylvania, and he shot 10 little girls. It, it still grabs my heart. Five of the little girls died. After he shot the 10 little girls, he turned the gun on himself and killed himself. As a nation, we were inspired in the next few days by the conversations of that Amish community as it related to forgiveness. And the first thing that surprised us was that we learned they had taken an offering among the entire community. And they had raised a large amount of money and they took it to the widow of the gunman and they gave it to the gunman's widow and her three children. And we were even more surprised a few days later when that community showed up at the cemetery at the funeral of the gunman, having only the day before buried their daughters. And they hugged the widow and the extended family and they said, God will give us the grace to forgive. Brad Paisley maybe said it best when he said crazy. And that's what people saw in these early believers. <laughs> they, they did some of the craziest things. They would, they would like have somebody in the community with them who, who were in need. And so they would go sell something property or possessions and they would bring the money and they would give it to the other people who had needs and then they would live with these words of their leader Jesus who said if you want to be first you really should go to the back of the line and if you want to be great you really ought to become the servant you should get you a basin and a towel and you should get on your knees and you should wash dirty feet and 2,000 years later we all studied the life of Mother Teresa when she died. And we shook our heads in agreement and we said she was truly great. So our faith, our faith must affect the way we live our lives and therefore the way that other people view us. And if nobody's calling us names, maybe we're not living the life Jesus envisioned us to live. Because unbelievers called the Christians believers because they live so counterculturally. So let me finish with this. A few years ago on Christmas Eve, I, I told you a story that was written by Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel was a man who in the 70s was an atheist. He wrote for the Chicago Tribune. And he said, we had heard about a family, grandmother and two granddaughters, whose little um, 
roach-infested apartment had burned. And they were forced into this little, tiny, two-room apartment. But they had nothing. When I was sent over to write the story, I was shocked. There was no furniture anywhere in this little, tiny space. There was, there was not a kitchen table. There was nothing hanging on the walls. There was not a, a rug on the floor. There was nothing. And so I wrote the article and pretty much forgot about it. A week and a half later, it was Christmas Eve, and I was sitting in my office, and there was no big story to tell. And I remember wondering if my article had made any impact. And so I drove over to the Delgado's little tiny apartment and was not prepared for what I was about to experience. There was a Christmas tree in the corner with gifts all around it, and there were, there were food, and there was furniture, and there were appliances. And because I wrote in the article that the little girls had one sweater between them to share, there were coats and hats and gloves, plenty of everything. And then on top of that, lots of cash. But what I saw next and what I interrupted really surprised me. They were putting it all in little stacks, including the money. And they were preparing to give their newfound wealth away. The grandmother had assured me when I came to visit the first time that God had not forgotten them and he would not forsake them and that their trust was in him. And now God had blessed them immensely. And when I protested and said, why are you giving it all away? The grandmother sharply said to me, our neighbors are in need and we have plenty. This is what Jesus would want us to do. I'm telling you, Paisley wasn't far off. It's crazy. He went on to write. She said, the greatest gift, however, is not all of these things. The greatest gift we're going to celebrate tomorrow on Christmas Day. And that is Jesus. And Strobel said, I realized that Jesus meant more to them than possessions. And he meant more to them than comfort. And Strobel said, although at that point in my life I was an atheist, deep down I longed to know the Jesus that they knew. I think... Uh, we leave every Sunday, and I always ask myself what I want you to, you know, walk to the car with, what I want you to take home. I think today I want to say to you, go get crazy. And live the life that Jesus envisioned you to live. And when somebody calls you a name, just kind of smile and say thank you. Let's stand together. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.